0: Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Lost in Science. This is our annual Lost in Science fiction show for the year to celebrate, amongst other things, Halloween and just pretty much to... Um, get our yearly science fiction nerd on. And I say science fiction nerd on because, you know, um, we get our nerd on every week, but this week we are bringing the science back into science fiction and straight to you, our dear listeners. Uh, my name is Claire and um, very special week this week, Chris, Stu, hello. hello. Hi. None of us wanted to miss Lost in Science Fiction this week. Stu, what have you got for us this Lost in Science Fiction?
1: Well, this year has been, I don't know if you want to christen it the year of AI, but the AI developments have been in the news (laughs) a lot this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did just recently sit down and watch a film called, well, depends which country you're from, apparently. I would say Megan, but some might say Megan. Megan. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you've seen this film, but it is about... I
0: haven't.
1: It is about... a, And, and just uh, for our listeners to be aware, there may be spoilers ahead, because there we're, we're be. all talking science fiction-y stuff, so if there's things you haven't seen and you don't want to know how they turn out, maybe, I don't know, listen to mm-hmm. it after you... How,
2: how old is this movie?
1: It's, it's in the last 12 months, so... Okay. Um, so maybe
2: try to not have too many spoilers cuz it seems like most of us haven't seen it yeah, it's a look, new movie it's it,
1: it's it's about a terrifying killer robot so okay, uh, that, no, that's no. not giving anything oh. away if you watch the trailer you'll get that impression okay good um, right yeah but it did just also like, just
2: like deadly friend from the 1980s
1: well along those lines but this is kind of where I'm it, it drew my mind to is that a lot of ai has been a part of science fiction since very early days of film science fiction, particularly. Sure. Um, so I'm just gonna have a look at some of the 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 big the big AI names of the past in science fiction, and and you know maybe try and figure out why we're so fascinated and why we're so paranoid potentially about if we make something smart enough, it'll want to kill us all. It seems like a Recurring theme in our science fiction, I think.
0: Uh, ab- absolutely, I mean it is. It's definitely at the back of our minds, isn't it? Um, or maybe the forefront of our minds um, a little bit more this year. But, but yeah, look, uh, I,
1: I do. I do also have a potential, possible solution for those fears. So I'll, I'll leave that to the <laughs> end of my of my turn, and and I'll I'll let you know what my thoughts are about why we shouldn't really have to worry about that sort of thing.
0: Good to know. And Chris, what science fiction are you going to be either busting or, um, you know, maybe amplifying the fear of
2: Well, uh, this,
0: for this show?
2: Well, I'm looking at another kind of standing theme and trope in science fiction. Um, Travelling fast in the speed of light is kind of essential for most space stories. Uh, and so, you know, there's only a certain sort of number of ways of getting around the cosmic speed limit of the speed of light. You know, you've got your warp drives in Star Trek. You've got, you know, a bunch of wormholes. Um, oh, I
0: think... Wormholes, you know, get around quite a lot of plot holes, don't oh, they? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I think, I think Superman used to just fly faster than the speed of light, but, you know, that's Superman. <laughs> he, can, he can do what he wants. But one of the most common methods is hyperspace, the old good old jump to hyperspace, um, best known from the Star Wars franchise. Um, so I thought I'd have a look bit of that. Does he? Does it make any scientific sense? Um, yeah.
0: Is is it even a thing?
2: Well, well, we'll find out. We'll find out. I mean, I'm just looking at some you know old movies and TV shows because uh, clear up bad news for you. Um, my kids are like three years old now, and I still don't get to go to the movies. So it's just basically. <laughs> old stuff from me really
0: (laughs) brilliant well um there we go we've got a little bit of killer robot a little bit of hyperspace what is not to love about lost in science fiction on with the show
1: There's been a lot of buzz around artificial intelligence this year, programmes like DAL E and ChatGPT making, you know, actual news headlines for their abilities in regurgitating art and putting sentences together that sound more or less human like, including making stuff up when they don't know the answers, which is very human, I think. But these machine learning models are not really the same kind of artificial intelligence people are expecting, especially if they've been feeding on a steady diet of film-based AI for almost a century. Uh, and I'm looking back over the the history of cinema, and you know, science fiction's always been an early adopter of new technologies, not surprisingly. Uh, but one of the earliest science fiction films... Fritz Lang's Metropolis from 1927 features a golden robot. Um, at least I've always mm. always been told it was gold. The film is black and white and silent, so there's no real colour reference to check on. Um, but the robot comes to life and takes the form of a human and destroys an entire city um which is you know the the very first ai we see on the, on the silver screen is basically a belligerent killer robot um and this is the first in a long line of belligerent ai which form the basis of basically a subgenre of science fiction which sees humans at the mercy of killer robots and computers who seek only to destroy humans um and it's more or less, I think, an allegory of human concerns about the development of technology and the loss of humanity. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's a pretty generalised sort of fear that people are going to be replaced by machines in some way and that the machines have some animosity towards us, which is quite silly, really. There's no real reason to think that. Um, and even, you know, there were early contenders on in the films, in the movies... Uh, for friendly AI, um, like Robbie the Robot, who was possibly the most famous, also known as the most hard-working robot uh, in Hollywood, he appeared in The Forbidden Planet, the film Forbidden Planet, which was a groundbreaking oh. Academy Award-winning special effects back in, in the 50s. Probably wouldn't you know seem so groundbreaking and special anymore, but the robot itself appeared in... A huge number of other movies after 1956 because he cost a lot of money to build. It, it,
2: wasn't he in Lost in Space? That
1: oh, was a different one. No, wasn't different. It? Yeah. That's a different. Yeah. He was. He was just yep. called Robot. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, I think it was actually. I think Forbidden Planet may have actually been the 1960s, and um, was kind of blown. Everything was completely changed. Then a few years later, 2001: uh, Space Odyssey came out, and like the hokey special effects of Forbidden Planet didn't didn't cut it anymore
1: well i think um yeah so forbidden planet was 56 and they had to make up categories at the academy awards because they didn't have anything for special effects um but if you look at if you look at the kind of effects they're using in forbidden planet they look very familiar because they went on to use them in shows like star trek and stuff like that it's a very very similar feel to a lot of that stuff but yeah obviously got completely blown out of the water by by things like yeah 2001 um, there was a friendly robots too in a film called Silent Running. I don't know. I think I might have mentioned this on the you show. You talked before.
2: about it a few times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, it's it's like basically a, an environmentalist movie. They all the world's forests go up into space, and this crazy hippie trains these robots to look after them, and then has to shoot them off into space because they are going to get blown up or something. Some some weird thing. Anyway, uh, but they're friendly little robots. But they're not really AI. They're kind of just like programmable bots that can do what they're told obviously there's classic friendly droids from star wars um i mean it seems that the ai gets underplayed a bit in star wars the capabilities of the droids they have seems to be well beyond what they actually get to do at any time um and it is it's it's strongly suggested that there are not so friendly ais but most of the actual baddies in star wars are Humanoids or other living creatures, not not the droids. Um, although there was a a good there was a good, uh, there was a good uh, bounty hunter robot which appeared in one of the early films. There are also robots who are built for menacing purposes, but find their own humanity. Like I don't know if you remember this one. Probably, Claire, you wouldn't remember this one. But do you remember Chris, the data analyzing robot youth life form? from the 1980s film Daryl or D. Oh,
2: I didn't see I didn't see that but I, I did like Chomp which was another acronym Ch- that Chomps. I Chomps uh...
1: yeah Chomps was like a rip off of Daryl or, or sort of yeah. like a, a companion piece to Daryl it was a robot dog <laughs> who was C.H.O.M.P.S. Um and also there's the classic Johnny 5 from Short Circuit who's a military robot who finds out that he enjoys people's company or something along those lines um and there's also like later uh films with humanoid robots who end up becoming basically human in films like bicentennial man do you remember bicentennial man mm. Robert,
0: yes that's right robin williams yeah he
1: basically turns into a human and stanley kubrick's final film which was kind of unimaginatively called artificial intelligence which had that's
0: right AI yeah with Haley Joel that's, right. that? that's right
1: that's right was basically kid, yeah, yeah kind of the story of Pinocchio as a robot mm. um but yes yeah, so, you know they, they weren't they weren't aggressive or anything they just were misunderstood or something along those lines um there's also a range of disembodied AI systems that are built to help Um, Iron Man has an AI built into his armor that follows him everywhere. It's on his watch and on his phone and everything. Um, I guess he's really in the cloud. Uh, His name's Jarvis, um, which I think stands for just just a really very intelligent system, I think is what he called it. Um, And Gertie, which is an AI system in the film Moon. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Moon, where um, Sam Rockwell's up on the moon and finds out some things about what's going on in the yes. moon. Um, but these disembodied voices can tend towards deception. Gertie is hiding the nature of the moon colony's actual operations from Sam Rockwell. And, you know, you don't find this out, exactly what's going on until, you know, you've, you're have you well invested. And Jarvis uh, from Iron Man feeds into becoming more than one humanoid robot, one of which is a threat to all human life. So once you once you get these ais into human form they again they try and wipe everyone out for various reasons um now those disembodied ones sort of go back to the original big bad ai antagonist which would be hal from the 1969 the hal 9000 from the 1969 film 2001 a space odyssey now i you know i think in all fairness hal wasn't actually evil he was given Conflicting instructions in his programming, which made him come to very bad conclusions about the most appropriate course of action um, for his mission. Uh, and you know, as as far as being a, a, an evil AI, he wasn't really evil. He was just not very well programmed, I suppose. A um, couple of years after HAL, another supercomputer made it onto the big screen in a much less special effects-heavy story. Basically, it's a bunch of people sitting around in offices talking about what should be done about a defense computer called Colossus. I don't know if you've ever seen Colossus, the Forbin project. Uh, The US government sets up a supercomputer to take over all their defense functions. And as soon as they turn it on, Colossus immediately detects another supercomputer developed by the Soviet Union and they form an alliance and basically enslave humanity straight away. Um, Possibly some anti-Cold War sentiment in that barely disguised subtext i suppose but um you know it's a pretty it's a pretty standard story i think one disadvantage giant computers have uh compared to mobile ais is you can just unplug the computer and what are they going to do to stop you <laughs> um now the really scary threats are from thinking computers that can come after you like we saw in the terminator in the 80s which is probably one of the most famous you know ai robots even though it's drawing on a rich history of um, AIs and certainly had to legally pay homage to some earlier writers who had contributed to the development of that script. But um, even earlier than that, in Alien, so Terminator was 1984, Alien in 1979, there's a murderous droid in Alien uh, who tries to keep the alien specimen alive. Um, And also, if you like fan theories possibly let the alien onto the escape ship at the end of aliens, which had predictable effects at the beginning of alien three, but that is just a fan theory. It's not specifically in the movie. So interesting idea though. Now I, one of the, one of the big ones I have to touch on is the Borg from star Trek who are an Android cyborg race. They don't so much want to wipe everyone out as just make everyone the same as themselves. Which is, you know, it's kind of friendly enough if they didn't do it using surgery and implants and by force. Um, but uh, the the reason that I got onto this track is, as I said in the intro, uh, I saw the film Megan or Megan, which is about an AI robot doll which turns evil. Um, but again, it's you know, it's possibly not. The doll's fault, it is possibly a result of being put together by someone who didn't think carefully enough about what they were doing. And I think that leads to my sort of conclusion. I think that the fears about artificial intelligence tend to blame the AIs themselves, which makes obviously makes for more entertaining stories on the screen. But as humans, we should really be looking at ensuring that the people who build these things are responsible enough or regulated enough, if they're not going to be responsible, um, to ensure that they don't create monsters in the first place or don't create things that are capable of becoming monsters uh, in in the wrong hands or with the wrong programming and that sort of thing. But as I said, uh, also, I, I, my, my main reason for not being particularly worried about artificial intelligence is that I've been using computer systems for probably 30-plus years, and the amount of times I need to get system updates or patches or IT support just to keep the basic stuff running all the time, I think it's very likely all we really need to do to stop AI taking over the world is make sure they can't install their own operating system updates for themselves and they need our input to make that happen, I think we'll be perfectly safe.
0: I think we're lost.
1: We're not lost. Not even any
2: short-range radio signals yet? Except for a single, very powerful radio
0: emission. Of course, a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard
2: equipment. The science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on
0: the theoretical side. Well, so far. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in
2: Science. All right, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science, and I am talking about uh, hyperspace, as seen in the Star Wars... uh, I was going to say galaxy, but look, they've moved beyond just one galaxy now, so let's say the Star Wars universe. Um, Now, I'm just talking about the science or the possible science of hyperspace here. I am not actually going to try to make the rules of hyperspace in star Wars itself make sense because like there are a whole kind of books that they publish devoted to that and they generally fail and make it all coherent. So I'm not going to attempt that really, but no hyperspace is like as depicted in, in the movie and in a lot of other sort of science fiction concepts, it is kind of a separate sort of type of space, but in scientific terms, a term like hyperspace is often used to refer to like a higher dimension. An example of how they might be used it, like in mathematics, for instance, like your sphere that you're familiar with. Like your, yeah. you all know what a sphere is, obviously. Like,
0: like a ball. A
2: ball. Um, so in higher dimensions, you call that you, the higher dimensional equivalent would be a hypersphere. So they just kind of chuck high, hyper on the front of
1: something when they're going into a higher dimension. So it's got more than three dimensions
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, the sphere, the ball that we think of, is a two-sphere because uh, the mathematicians focus on the surface of the sphere, not the um, the body of it. So it's like they think of it as a two-dimensional object, but it exists in three-dimensional space, obviously. Yeah. Um, right. Let's not, let's not fight the mathematicians here. Yeah, so one way that, uh, say, hyperspace could be, it's, um, you could imagine, a form of hyperspace would be that if our three-dimensional space was embedded in like a higher dimensional space so i mean you've probably seen in lots of movies i think they actually kind of referenced it in thor love and thunder like sent it up essentially they're folding over a piece of paper and sticking a wormhole through using a pencil
0: yeah have you seen Mm -hmm. that kind of thing
2: you show how a wormhole could join two places so this is what kind of hyperspace could be it's just basically you'd have the bit of paper you can jump from one bit of paper to the other but you just don't need a pencil to do it so you're not using a wormhole, you're just jumping
1: from one piece of paper to another. So <clears throat> if you're just instantly jumping from one part of space to another part of space, is that the same as faster than light travel, or is it just a different way of moving completely?
2: Well, you're getting from point A to point B faster than the speed of light, so yeah, it kind of is, isn't
1: it? I guess. it just The, the main reason I would bring that up is because the effect of travelling close to or faster than the speed of light would have weird impacts on the time factor of where you had left and where you were going. And in things like in things like Star Wars, it's all in real time. So they go from one planet to another and the same amount of time has elapsed in both places and that sort of thing. And it just seems that that would really confuse things.
2: I refer to what I said at the beginning. I'm not <laughs> going to try to make Star Wars make sense.
1: Okay, yes, all right. Now,
2: you're quite right. You're quite, and this is one of the reasons why fast side travel is not good in, in real physics. But that, that kind of instantaneous travel is not what you actually get in Star Wars. Um, that's kind of, that's like a, um, a folded space kind of concept, which you might, they, I think that's the kind of the terms they use in Dune in the Dune book series and, and movie series, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's also, I guess, the closest that you could get to a form of hyperspace travel if in the real world... So, for instance, in superstring String Theory, um, there is the idea that there actually are higher dimensions that just curled up very small. But in theory, I guess you could fit, you could crumple up our universe inside these higher dimensions just really tinily um i haven't done the math so i don't know whether it really works out but that's kind of the closest you could actually do but that's not what you get in star wars i guess is my point right in star wars hyperspace just seems to be like an extra realm of space that is somehow layered on top of ours so it's but it's smaller so that you can get from one point to another quicker than you would going through normal space so you have to enter hyperspace and then you can take a shortcut essentially but it still takes time to travel and you're in a different kind of space that kind of looks all swirly and 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 spacey but it's yeah it's got its own rules
1: you can you mm-hmm. can tell you're going faster because the stars all go zh- like well, when you're entering straps, it. Yeah. When you're entering it, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So, um, look, mathematically, this kind of makes sense. Like, you could imagine having a different kind of three-dimensional space that you map our space onto uh, in, in different ways, perhaps making slightly different shapes so the distances are different. But it doesn't make any sense in terms of physics. I can't find any kind of physics where you could actually have this form of space that kind of maps onto ours, and you can jump from, from one form of space to another. So, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of Myth sense.
0: Myths busted. Is that, is that where to... Yeah, I'm saying relate. that. I'm
2: saying that, take, yeah. This
0: takeaway,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at. Because like, there are a lot of things that don't make sense in it. Like, there's a whole kind of thing that... Uh, so you enter this hyperspace, but you have to... You rely on engines to be in hyperspace. If your engine stops, then you drop out of hyperspace. And I don't really understand how that's supposed to work.
0: All I think about is how bad my um, travel sickness would be traveling into hyperspace. I just think it would be terrible. You'd
1: be hypersick, yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly.
2: But look, like I said, this is a convenient thing. It's used a lot of science fiction. I mean, even Star Trek, which has this like its warp drives for faster than light travel, they also, you remember they also have subspace, which is kind of like another hand handwavy thing that they can do faster than light communication. Look, sounds sounds like a bit of a dodgy thing, but apparently in they going back to Star Wars in I think The Force Awakens, um, where they had a massive super death star. Effectively, they used sub hyperspace, so they could blow up multiple star systems. And so, yeah, they're really pushing it. It was um,
1: that that was that was another thing that I thought was um, really interesting, though, too, because they they were blowing up lots of things in different parts of the galaxy all at once but people in other parts of the galaxy could see that happening at the same time from where they were apparently
2: watching. apparently explained by the fact that they did this kind of opened up this sub hyperspace that allowed other people in the galaxy to see this going on. Look, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense about it. Um, I don't know if you, any of you seen the latest uh, TV series Ahsoka. Yes. Where um, this is a mild spoiler. They need to travel to another galaxy. Mm. Look, look, I kind of think that could make sense. We don't know how hyperspace maps onto our universe. Again, it doesn't make physics sense, but, you know, it's it's excusable, I guess. But, again, don't think about it too hard. I mean, that show also gives us the the world between worlds, which is another kind of separate dimension where you can go jump around through time by walking on, you know, bits of glass or something like that. It they doesn't did, make any sense. They,
1: they did explain getting to another galaxy by that they put a whole bunch of hyperdrive engines on a thing and that allowed it to go to another galaxy. Well, I'd so you need to think. really... St- you, just need you need a really figure. strong
2: engine to be able to do it, but you also need to know the way, because they also rely in this thing. This is getting super, this is getting super nerdy. Apologies to everyone out there. <laughs> they also need they Also rely on hyperspace lanes, like mapped routes. Like Han Solo in the first movie talks about you have to do careful calculations see, so you don't accidentally hit a star or something like that. But most of the movies, they kind of rely on pre-mapped lanes, and I think that's what they do in Ahsoka is they have this, this determined route.
1: Well, that's, you know, I mean, Douglas Adams referenced that when in the beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Earth gets destroyed to make way for a hyperspace bypass. So obviously nobody wanted to run into the Earth when they were going through <laughs> hyperspace.
2: There you go. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's found in a lot of science fiction. Look, ultimately, like I said, from a physics point of view, it doesn't make sense. Um, and it follows rules that are the rules for the stories that it is, it is used in. But I think if this sort of stuff does colour people's perception of physics, I think... This is why people believe that aliens might have faster than light travel to get to Earth. They kind of assume that somehow in the future we'll develop this kind of technology. Look, could happen, but um, I would bet money that whatever they come up with won't be hyperspace.
0: That's all we have time for on another episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for joining us. Lost in Science is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation, at the studios of 3CR, and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at lostinsightgmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where we are Lost in Science on 3CR Or try us on Twitter where we are Lost in Science 1 or just tune in again next week wherever you listen to us when Stu, Claire and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.